Good morning. Thank you for tuning in, and I trust that this lesson today will be a blessing to you. We want to welcome you to John Cook Ministries and to the continuing study of pastoral study, of pastoral epistles. This is lesson number seven. We're on part number six of our lesson, and uh, today we are going to be looking at the, let's see, uh, I have to shift scenes here. Uh, today we're going to be looking at the cause that, uh, that is in for our ministry and the cause for, for or consider the cause that uh, the Apostle Paul was speaking of. And then we want to look at the persuasion. What keeps you in the ministry? What keeps you serving God? What keeps you being a testimony for Jesus Christ? And the keeping, where is our security? These are the things that we want to consider today in our study. So let's get right into our study. In 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. I mean, consider this. What a great verse. Do you know who you've believed in? Do you know who you're preaching about? Do you know who keeps you in the ministry? Do you know where your security is? This is what we want to consider today. He says, for the which cause. Now, when we think about the cause, a cause is a reason. A reason to be in the ministry. A reason to stand in the pulpit. A reason to preach the gospel. What's your cause? What keeps you going? I've been reading the Voice of the Martyrs magazine that we get every uh, week, or every month, I should say. And as I was reading, I read about so many people suffering for the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, there's a lot of folks today who are losing their lives because they trust Christ. And Yet we who live in a free world and a place where we can preach the gospel, we seemingly lose sight of our cause. Preachers leave the ministry. I know of one preacher a long time back that when I was a missionary in Canada, he left the ministry and went into car sales. I know other preachers who have gone into, left the ministry and one preacher I know years ago, he left the ministry and went into politics. There's a lot of things that, we, that would seek to draw us away in our service for God. But I want to submit to you today that we need to know the which cause that we have. Paul says, for the which cause. Now, the... Psalmist David, in 1 Samuel chapter 17 and verse 29, David says to Saul, What have I now, or to his brother, I'm sorry, 
to his brother. He says, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? David, the young shepherd boy, goes to see his brothers who are at war. They're on the front lines. And David goes to to see them and to speak to them and to see how they're doing. His daddy sends him. And when David gets there to the front lines, there's this giant, Goliath. He's challenging the armies of Israel. And David says, when he hears this, he says, who is this guy that he thinks he can challenge the armies of Israel? And David's brother, older brother, says to him, now remember, he's a soldier. He says, why are you here? Why aren't you back taking care of the sheep? He kind of embarrasses his brother because his brother's not the one standing up saying, is there not a cause? But David takes the determination. There's a reason. There's a cause. And of course we know from the study of that that takes place there how David goes up against Goliath. And David declares the cause is this. Who are you? To Goliath he says. Who are you? To blaspheme and challenge and defy the Lord God of Israel. You know, if you're going to get in the ministry, it's not an easy road, as the old songwriter wrote. But the thing that's going to keep you in the ministry is that that there is a cause. There's a cause to stick with it. There's a cause to stand by the Word of God. There's a cause to stand in that pulpit. There's a cause to speak with authority. You better recognize the cause. And our cause is the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul goes on to say, not only is there a cause, but he says, for the which thing, I also suffer these things. He says, I suffer these things for the cause. Suffering's a part of the ministry. It'll cost you to serve God. And it won't be easy. In fact, this 2 Timothy 3.12, we're told, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, I freely admit, the persecution that we see is in, a, in the United States is nothing compared to the persecution others are, are experiencing. I mean, there are our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan today who are losing their lives in Iran, in North Korea, and in countries around this world 
where they have to take to take up the cause of the Lord Jesus Christ and trusting him they're going to suffer persecution they're going to go through the fire now we're not at that point right now it may come but for the moment we're not at that point but if you're going to stand up and declare the word of God is the authority in this world, that there is a black and white, that there is an absolute authority, and that is the word of God. And when I say the word of God, if you've been listening at all through these studies, you know I mean the old King James Bible the Word of God. I believe this book that I hold in my hand is the absolute authority. And because it's the absolute authority, I can preach it with authority. I can stand by it with authority. And so can you. And herein is the cause contained. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke with all with long all long suffering. We're to stand by this book. We're to preach that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're to preach, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Even as the apostle Paul said to the Macedonian jailer. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, he said, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. It works for you, it'll work for your household. If you're going to stand for this book, you're going you're gonna to be faced with some problems. Don't expect good treatment out of this world. In fact, the treatment we ought to expect is the same treatment our Savior received. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 25, it is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house, Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? Hey, listen, if they mistreated Jesus, why should we expect them to like us? Why should we expect to win the most respected person in the United States or the most respected person in the world? Because if we expect that, then we're going to compromise the message. We're not in this business of preaching the gospel. We're not in this business of standing for the word of God to make friends in this world, but rather to serve the Savior. If we please men, we can't please God. So just get used to it. If you're going to go in the ministry, consider this. If you're in the ministry, plant your feet in it. Put your feet down on the solid rock of God's Word and know and be assured that you're doing what God wants you to do.
Our response to suffering is in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 24. Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in the flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Do we rejoice in our sufferings? <laughs> I tell you the truth. I can't say that I rejoice, but I'm supposed to. And I, when I'm right with God, I do rejoice, but my old flesh gets in the picture just like yours does. But this is to be our response. And the way that you rejoice in your sufferings is you know there's a cause. You rejoice because there's fruit. We rejoice because we see the growth in God's people. We see the growth in the babies that God allows us to bring to him. So all of this takes place, but what do you do? Well, the Apostle Paul says, nevertheless, I am not ashamed. You know, it's easy to become ashamed. In Romans, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Shame will cause you to go hide in the rocks and the caves. Shame will cause you to run away from the battle because you lose sight of what you're fighting for. I think sometimes in our lives as Christians, we lose sight of the fact that we're soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And preacher, we're on the front lines. And like David's brothers who were on the front lines, we're there. But we're not to be cowering and ashamed when, our, when our, we face our Goliaths. He says, uh, I'm not ashamed, far from running from the ministry and suffering. The Apostle Paul answered in Acts chapter 21 and verse 13, What mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? For I am ready, I am ready not to be bound only, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember watching a story of a man at war. And he was a commander. And he said this to his soldiers that he commanded. When you realize you're dead already, you'll do okay in battle. I remember reading or listening to the story of of Stonewall Jackson. Stonewall Jackson was seen out on right out in front of his troops, holding his troops together. 
in the face of the enemy. And when asked, how could you, how could you stand up there like that? How could you be in plain sight of the enemy when all the bullets are flying? What keeps you standing? And he said, in my beliefs, my religion, I'm taught that God has ordered the day of my death. And nothing the enemy can do can bring it sooner. And nothing I can do can bring it later. He said, I just trust God. I believe God's in charge of my life. That's what the Apostle Paul was saying. If, if it costs me going to jail, I go to jail. If it costs me my life, that's all right. I'll die for the cause of Christ. Most of us won't live for the cause of Christ, much less die for him. Far from running for the ministry, he's right, he was right in the thick of it. What's our rege- reaction to all of this suffering? 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 16 says, Yet if any man suffer as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Let's be sure that when we're suffering, we're not suffering because of our own flesh, because of our own uh, pride, our own ideas. I noticed that the sound is a little high. But when we're suffering for doing what God told us to do, suffering for Christ, suffering as a Christian, then Peter says, don't be ashamed, but glorify God on this behalf. If you're called upon to give your life, if you're called upon to take the abuse of man, Take it and glorify God. So often in our lives, we face those who don't want to hear the gospel. What's, what are we to do if they don't want to hear it? I believe we're to give them the gospel the best we can. And then leave the results up to God. The disciples faced persecution in the early church. Far greater than we face. And in Acts chapter 5 and verse 41 it says, They departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They beat them. They threatened them. And they didn't run away and cower in a corner. They didn't go into hiding. But they departed from the presence of that council. And they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Do we rejoice? Do we have a cause? 
And does our cause keep us going? What's the persuasion we need? What is the thing that we need to know? Well, the Apostle Paul says, For I know whom I have believed and am persuaded. It isn't just, I know what I've believed, but I know whom I've believed and am persuaded. He said, I have this persuasion because I know whom I have believed. Do you know who you believed? 1 John chapter 5 and verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Our salvation is secure because I know whom I believed. My salvation is secure because I know whom I believed. Do you know that you've believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know that you've called upon him? Well, God can't lie. First, our, our Titus tells us in chapter 1, God can, in, in hope of eternal life, which God, they cannot lie, promised before the world began. Our hope is eternal life. And the one who made the promise is God. And God cannot lie. So the Apostle Paul said, I know whom I believed. And he knew that he believed God. And he knew that God can't lie. Jesus can't lie. There is no darkness in him at all. The Bible says, let God be true, but every man a liar. That's not a real difficult thing to understand. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30, it says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. Notice that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit of God unto the day of redemption. When we trust Christ as our personal Savior, we are that moment sealed unto the day of redemption by the Holy Ghost of God. We can no more get out of it than I... Listen, I could no more quit being the child of God than I can to quit being the child of Leslie and Unicook, my parents. Oh, I can say one thing. I can misbehave. But it doesn't change my position. My position is sealed in them. I'm the son of Leslie and Unicook. 
who are now at home with the Lord. And having believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, I am now sealed by the Holy Spirit of promise unto the day of redemption when the Lord Jesus Christ is going to come and call us home and redeem that which he has bought. We're just waiting for the day of redemption when he takes us home. Our presentation is secure and certain in God, in the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. It's only reasonable that God gets that which he has purchased. I want you to notice something. I am, as a Christian, I am to present my body a living sacrifice, holy. Where in the world am I going to get the holiness to present myself before God? Well, I get it through the Lord Jesus Christ. When he died on that cross, he became sin for me so I could become the righteousness of God in him. So I can do this because I can give him this body, a living sacrifice. This body that is dead already. He has bought me and put me in himself. And he now inhabits this body and I'm to give him this vehicle. To carry on the ministry in this world. I give myself to him. It's my reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, verse 2 says. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So God wants me to not be conformed to this world. It's not possible for me to present my body a living sacrifice and take it over and conform it to this world. I can't do both at the same time. I'm not to be conformed to this world. My speech, my actions, my attitudes, my thoughts, they're not to be conformed to this world but I'm to be transformed. I'm told that this is the same word that was used for when Jesus was transfigured on the, road, on the trans, Mount of Transfiguration. So God wants to transform me by the renewing of my mind. The renewing of my mind 
comes from that which I put into it. And the more I'm in the Word of God, the more of the Word of God that is in me, the more He renews my mind. He renews my thinking. He renews my desires. And by knowing the Word of God, I can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. In Romans chapter 12, verses one or, or verse 3, he says, For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. You know, it's a hard thing for us in our flesh. The flesh wants to think of itself. And we tend to want to magnify ourselves. We live in a world full of self today. I mean, you think about it. We even talk about taking selfies. That's how self-centered we are. You used to have to have somebody else take the picture. Now we can do it for ourselves. And the Bible says, don't think so highly of yourself. But to think soberly. To take a good, clear look at yourself. When I take a good, clear look at myself... I have nothing to be proud of. Because when I take a good, clear look at myself, I see that I've got a lot of bad thoughts, wicked thoughts, if you will. I have the tendency to do, to want to do wicked things, rebellious, stubborn-willed. Stiff-necked, like Israel. And my only hope is the measure of faith that God has given me. That's what delivers me. That's what makes me what God can use. Our destination is certain because we know whom we have believed. We've seen that already. But let me remind you, Romans 8, 29 to 39 says, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his will, excuse me, image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. So he foreknew me. He knew I would get saved, and he predestinated me then in salvation to be conformed to the image of his Son. That Jesus would be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate. Them he also called, 
And whom he called, them he also justified. And whom he justified, them he also glorified. He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. You know the scripture, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He delivered up his Son. If he did that, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If he give us his Son, what's he going to hold back? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died. Yea, rather, that is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us? Jesus stands up for us. He speaks on our behalf. So this brings about the question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. He says, nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him that loved us. Our victory is through Jesus Christ. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come. Nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There's whom I have believed. And knowing, being persuaded by Scripture of my security in Him, my security guaranteed in Him, I have the cause to carry on the gospel. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 and 29 says, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. Paul says, I'm, I'm speaking like a fool now. I am more. You know, when you brag about yourself, speak as a fool. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Had Paul gone through these things? Absolutely. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. I mean, this is his high points, boy. In weariness, or excuse me, thrice was I beaten with rods, once was I stoned, thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day I have been in the deep. In weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Well, you talk about tough, being tough in the ministry. This is tough in the ministry. 
beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. Remember, Paul says, I speak as a fool when he's talking about all this. Who is weak, and I am not weak? Who is offended, and I burn not? Paul said, all these things I've gone through, but I could take it because of the Savior. You may go through a lot in the ministry. You may go through more than some people will ever know. But remember, others have gone ahead. And Jesus took more than we ever have. The Bible says you've not yet resisted unto blood. Jesus did. He resisted unto blood. And he literally gave his life that we might be saved. That's whom we have believed. He says against that day. That day is an important day. Now we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and by our gathering together unto him, that ye be not soon shaken in mind or be troubled, neither by spirit nor by word nor by letter as from us, as that the day of Christ is at hand. He said, don't get messed up with somebody coming along teaching you that the day of Christ has already happened. It's going to happen. And when it does, you're secure. You're secure in Him. And that's where our security is. Then when then the next verse, Paul talks to us and says, Hold fast the sound, excuse me, hold fast the form of sound words, which thou hast heard of me, in faith and love which is in Christ Jesus. Hold forth the form of sound words. Hold fast. Hang on to it. To hold fast means to glue it in your hand and don't let it get away. Keep that hand closed. Hold fast to that which is good. He says, hold, prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. What's good is that which comes from God. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from God, the Bible tells us in the book of James. We hold fast that which is good, that, that which God has given us. Hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised, Hebrews 10.23 says. The profession is what we make. The possession is what God does for us. 
So hang on to your testimony. Hang on, and it'll keep you in the work. Hold fast the faithful word, the word of God. Here it is. Remember, hold it fast. Hang on to it. As he hath been taught, that he may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convince the gainsayers. Hold fast the word of God. The faithful word. Take fast hold of instruction. Let her not go. Keep her, for she is thy life. Hold fast to the form of instruction, the hold of instruction. Take fast hold of it. Hang on to it. The instructions that we receive from the word of God. Keeper. It's your very life. It's what keeps you going. Hold fast the form of sound words. The form of sound words. Hang on to those sound words. This is the this is the the that which we received in the epistles of the Apostle Paul, which are specifically given to this dispensation of the grace of God, or the gospel of the grace of God, I should say. As also in all his epistles, Peter says, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are learned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. You know what it means to rest something? It means to twist it. It means to change it. And we got a lot of that going on today. And all these new Bibles, they change the scripture. To say things that it doesn't say. They weaken the scripture. I mean, weakening the scriptures simply means watering it down. My grandpa on my mother's side was French. Louisiana French. My dad made some coffee one time, and my grandpa took one taste of it and said, May Leslie, that's dishwater. Dumped it out and made coffee. Well, that's what some folks are trying to do with the Word of God. They're trying to make it nothing, weaken it, no flavor, no stick to of us. Well, what are we to do when we face people like that? Well, when we face people like that, I'll tell you what we're to do. You knew I was going to anyhow. And that is hold fast to, the, to sound words. Even if they are hard to be understood sometimes. 2 Corinthians 2.17 says, We are not as many which corrupt the word of God, 
but as of sincerity, but as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. The word of God can be corrupted. And it is being corrupted today. People saying things that the Bible doesn't say. They corrupt it. I heard recently of a woman that was supposed to have prayed in the opening of Congress in Washington, D.C. And when she came to the close, instead of saying amen, she said a woman. That's corruption. Number one, it has no basis of dealing with masculinity when you say amen. It means you agree with God. Well, maybe that's your problem. You don't want to agree with God. So we're not as many who corrupt the word of God. Let that be said by us and let it be true of us. But as of sincerity, we're sincere in our belief in the word of God. We're sincere in our preaching of the word of God. And as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. When we preach, speak as the oracles of God. Cry out like a trumpet against the sin of this world. He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. What does it reveal about you if you don't believe the book? You don't believe the words of God. It reveals that you don't know God. Because he that is of God hears God's words. I didn't say God's word. I said God's words. Because God's words determine God's word. Every word of God is important. In Matthew chapter 4, or chapter 3, see, Jesus said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. You best believe that if we are going to do anything in the work of God, it's going to be by the words of God, and every word is important. And God has seen to it that we have a Bible that has every word of God in it so we can preach it with authority. I don't have to get up and guess at what God wants to say. And I'm dead sure not supposed to corrupt the word of God by getting up and correcting it. Jesus never corrected it. The apostle Paul never corrected it. So it's about time we stop correcting it. After all, who do you think you are to stand up against God and change his word? Every word of God is important. 
And what you do with the words of God prove whether you're of God or not. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. If you love God, you love his words. It's that simple. If you love God, you love his words. That's our security. That's our guarantee, if you will. So we have seen then the cause. The cause is to get the words of God out to men. And it's going to bring suffering, persecution, difficulty. What keeps you in the ministry is the persuasion that you know whom you believed and are persuaded that he is able. He's the one who can keep you going. He's the one who guarantees the message. And the keeping that is called for is to keep his words clearly before men. Hold fast to sound words, the scripture tells us. That then brings us to the conclusion of this segment of our lessons on the pastoral epistles. This is lesson number seven. And I trust that God enables you to stay by the stuff and that you'll simply accept what God is doing in your life, in your ministry, and you'll stick with it. And by God's grace, when we stand before the judgment seat of Christ, our works will not be wood, hay, and stubble. Well, until the next lesson, thank you for tuning in.